Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. It's nice to be able to say that again. We have been over three months off the air because of the worldwide pandemic that we all have come to know and love or maybe not love so much. We're going to be talking today about a little bit about the effects of the pandemic locally with the new Cahirlach of Leitrim County Council, Mary. But when I say new Cahirlach, but she's fifth time Cahirlach, so she's not a new name to anybody who's been following Leitrim politics over the years. Mary's going to be joining us for today's show. We're going to be talking about all that and more. But first, I just want to say welcome back to everybody listening to the show today. Leitrim Daily will be back on our regular schedule, but we're going to build up to that over the next couple of weeks. We'll be coming back semi-regularly for the first couple of weeks just to ease back into things as businesses and all the events and sports start to come back on stream over the coming weeks. Well, enough of the homework, I suppose. Mary, welcome back to the programme. Thank you, Breffney. It must be nice to see the county reopening again, especially as you come into your fifth term as Cahirla Leitrim County Council. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And indeed, I'm very honoured and, and humbled to be back in and that the members have put their trust in me for the coming year uh, to be Cahirla. And whether you do it once or twice or whenever, it's still a great honour and I'm very proud to be Cahirla of Leitrim County Council. So hope to carry out my duties in, to the best of my ability and do what I can for the people of Leitrim in terms of the last couple of months, because it's been a surreal time for anybody, it's probably the closest we'll, we'll experience in, our, in in my lifetime anyway to maybe what happened in the emergency in the Second World War in terms of everything's just shut down. You're a little bit worried to leave the house. You're a little bit worried to mix and mingle and come into contact with other people. From a, a county council point of view, what has been the story of the last three months while everybody's been shut down? Well, I suppose it's been very, very difficult for everybody if you take it from school children uh, not been going to school, um, the whole situation with the exams for students, and then if you take people not being able to go to visit uh, people in hospitals, uh, older people in nursing homes, um, people have having to stay at home, and then you mentioned it there yourself in your introduction, uh, the whole fear factor um, around it where, where people were really frightened to go out. So... Uh, people went from being at home and not used to being at home for so long from painting their houses and cleaning the attic and trying to do the garden until they found out the garden centres were closed. So there was, it was, um, I suppose, a huge, it had a huge impact on everybody. And I suppose the sector really hit badly. It was the business sector, you know, restaurants, pubs, shops. When you think of just a, a complete uh, shutdown and the impacts of that, I think, are going to be long-lasting. And, of course, there's a gradual uh, opening of, of uh, restaurants now and pubs that are serving food. But um, already we know of a few small businesses that, that are not going to uh, reopen again because it, um, it's not viable. Um, if you take the Sweet Uranium in with one in Drumshamba, for example, a lovely little restaurant that was doing very well and was always very busy. But they've come to the conclusion because of the size. It is such a small space. It is, and, and the social distancing that they just can't do it. And I know that's going to be replicated um, across the, the country in lots of lots of places. But it's supposed to come back to the council's role in this. The council were very proactive, uh, working with uh, various organisations um, like the GA and others. And I suppose I'd just like to say now to uh, compliment everybody in that space because we're very lucky in Leitrim to have such a vibrant uh, community and voluntary sector 
and, um, and particularly the GA and other voluntary organisations. And they did rise to the challenge, whether it be delivering uh, meals or calling to see older people and as the council um, officials and the Gardaí as well were very much involved in that. So I suppose people were very proactive in trying to help people um, that needed help. Uh, but still it was a very difficult time for everybody and continues to be difficult because um, while people can visit um, family members now and can go to uh, nominated people can go to nursing homes, um, it's still very um, difficult for for the business sector. And you have the whole situation now for parents and students in relation to what's going to happen for schools in September and the whole area of crashes. It's, it's, um, it's a huge area and the consequences are very dire uh, for a lot of people. What has the... Obviously, people have been aware of Sweet Geranium. It was all over social media for the last maybe mm. week or 10 days. And there are other businesses in mm-hmm. a similar situation who maybe might not be quite as forthcoming about it because there's a... I suppose there is a kind of a... A stigma associated with the failure of a business, whether it's mm. your your fault or or the world's fault yeah, uh, outside absolutely. your control. Mm. Um, what what's the future for those people who were in business, like really in, in terms of the county? Like, there's not mm. that many opportunities to kind of pivot like that. Well, it's very it's very difficult, and we still don't know yet in relation to all of the pubs in the villages. I mean, like my own in Drumcure, and they'll be opening, I think, on the twentieth. Um, but for, to do the social distancing, as we've been requested to do, um, is going to be very difficult. And it's going to be very difficult for a pub owner to police. And the other thing, even if you take the restaurants, the length of time somebody is to be in a restaurant um, or in, you know, in a pub where they're serving food, I think they're talking about 90, 90 minutes. I mean, how is that going to be policed? So it's putting a lot of pressure on businesses and I know that all the extra I was talking to a hotelier now and they said everything will be in plastic bags and there's a consequence of that too for the environment but uh, if you're going to a room in a hotel your um, television um, remote control is going to be in a plastic bag your toiletries are going to be in plastic bags uh, you won't there's some of them are saying you won't have cups in the rooms the same way as you would have you're going to have take away plastic cups wrapped in plastic bags. So, you know, all of this, is a, there's a serious consequence for the environment as well when we're trying to reduce. And still, uh, shops or pubs and hotels and restaurants are, are being requested to do this. Now, it's funny that you mentioned pubs because on Monday night when the pubs opened, I actually made a conscious effort uh, to go to a local mm-hmm. hostelry that was serving mm-hmm. food and I had my dinner mm-hmm. out to support the business reopening. But there is... An, and, and I went in and I was... I was stopped. I, my name and my contact details were taken for contact tracing, mm-hmm. and all the servers were wearing protective equipment with kind of face masks, and not necessarily across their mouths, but actually the shields that we've come Pfizer's, to see. Yeah, yeah across the, from the top of their head down. And when I sat down, they took my order, and then when the food arrived, they asked me if I wanted a drink. Now I don't drink, so it wasn't mm-hmm. an issue for me. But people were having a social drink with their food. Mm-hmm. A, a group of five lads came in. They weren't local. They had come from across the border from Northern Ireland, and I witnessed the proprietor kick them out because they came in looking for alcohol. And he said, "Do you want food?" And they said, "Well, we just really want a pint." And he asked them to leave. Mm-hmm. Now, anecdotally, that's not happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. Some of the pubs have opened that maybe serving food is a, is a fairly loose term in terms of what they do mm-hmm. uh, and there are crowds in pubs where there's an awful lot more alcohol been served than food been served what's the situation with that 
Well, you see, there's a huge uh, onus being put on the proprietor of, of uh, such a venue to police this, and I'm sure many of them, most of them, 99% of them, will do the best they, ca- they can to uh, carry out uh, the guidelines as laid down. But, I mean, even during the lockdown we heard about in other counties, we heard about a couple of pubs that were serving alcohol. You know, it's very hard to police... I mean, the Gardaí can't be in every pub and every restaurant watching who's going in and who's going out and who's getting a pint and who's getting a, a meal. So it's going to be difficult to police and it's going to put... Um, it's going to make a lot of problems for proprietors, you know, to carry it out. And all you can do in any of those cases is ask people to be responsible. Like, what some people are for- forgetting is the, the people that are crowding into parks and crowding into various places and house parties is that, um, for their own sake for the sake of their families. I mean, I think at this level now, we've been given all the guidelines. We've seen all the people that have died. Uh, we, many of us know people that, that have died. So the onus is on people to, for personal responsibility. And that's, I think, as much as anybody can do to say that if you do this, you're leaving yourself open to getting the virus. You're, uh, you're going home maybe to elderly parents or grandparents. So there's a chance that they're going to pick it up so I think that's all but one of the things I just like to say in relation to the small shops in our towns and villages and the butchers um, they gave such a fantastic service um, during the whole pandemic I mean delivering I know in my own village the shops were delivering the local butcher was delivering um, to anybody that wanted that couldn't come out you know to get and I think it's something that we should uh, remember uh, when the lockdown is finished now, that not everybody needs to to rush off to the, the supermarket. I know there are occasions when maybe you just can't get everything you want, or it's not feasible for small shops to store everything that people need. But I think as far as possible, shop local, shop local, and support your local business because were it not for, I mean, when you had the five k lockdown, you, you know you weren't really supposed to be driving anywhere, and it, what maybe wasn't safe to be going to the bigger uh, shops. So uh, I think that's something that people should remember. Yeah, and of course, it is also important to note that the vast, vast majority of people are observing social distancing, yes. are observing mm-hmm. even a, a partial lockdown, just not leaving the house unless they, there's a specific reason to leave the house mm-hmm. and then not entering other people's homes and, and tr- behaving themselves, basically, mm-hmm. for, for the betterment of all of us in society Absolutely. in the county. Now, a couple of other things we talked about off-air before we started chatting. One of them you mentioned was an issue that has arisen because of the COVID payment that I'd like to just touch on. And that is um, mortgage pre-approvals. Mm-hmm. That's a topic that most mm-hmm. of us probably aren't aware of. Explain mm-hmm. to us why that's a bit of an issue at the moment. Well, I spoke to uh, two or three people uh, just at the start of the COVID thing where they had been mortgage approved. And they were worried, you know, would that hold firm? And they went back to the bank. One In each case, one of the partners um, had a permanent job but had been laid off because of the COVID, because the business was closed down. And uh, they were told by the banks that their their loan approval was being cancelled and they would have to come back when the, the partner got back to work. Uh, now, they've, they were appro- they were approved pre-COVID, but then when this happened, they, they were their approval was cancelled. So they've gone back to the bank now, but they're telling them that they'll need at least four pay slips and, and maybe more. So I think it's very unfair of the banks, you know, they, I think they have a short memory. Uh, they were bailed out and were, were still paying for it. The taxpayer is still paying for that. And um, I think if you have a permanent job and you were mortgage approved and you're going back to that job and you maybe have a letter from your employer saying 
you're going back, then uh, your loan approval should stand. Because what happens when your loan approval is cancelled, you know, you may have a holding deposit paid on your house, but the auctioneer is going to be asking what's the position. So if somebody else comes in that can't get the money otherwise, then, you know, you may lose that house that you had the deposit. I just think it's very unfair. And I've heard of numerous cases since that and a few cases that are pending now that people are going back and they have to get these pay slips and uh, I hope the bank will honour it. But I, I, you know, while all other, while government departments and local authorities were trying to assist people in every possible way, uh, you find out that the banks, whereas if you to go back to 12 or 14 years ago, they were literally throwing money out at people. You, you know, if you, I know of several cases where people went in and said they wanted to borrow 100,000 uh, for a house and they were asked to bring in the plans of the house and the person selling the loan to them saying, oh no, I mean, 100,000 won't be enough for that house. You know, we'll give you 150. Can you give me the name of the person who approved that loan? <laughs> 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 it might be a little bit late now. Um, um, but you, but no, I do I know, point, I do know, I do know cases where that happened, where they actually wanted to give more than the person wanted. And now in a situation where people need assistance. Now, I don't know if all banks, I don't want to tarnish them all. Maybe some of them will get on to you and say they are. But if, if, if some of them are, are not doing this, then I'd like to hear about it too. And I can tell the people that were talking to me about it. But it is an issue. Okay. There's a couple of other things that we should probably talk about over the last couple of days, really, developing news in the north of the county. And mm. I suppose anyone in the south of Leitrim may not be that aware of this, but it has been all over social media. It's on the front page and the second page of The Observer today. Uh, the storms and the weather over the last week to 10 days mm. in the county has caused havoc in North Leitrim. I'm looking at the gushing of the Glencar waterfall is probably the best version of it, but there's been serious damage done by flooded rivers, landslides in Drumcair and Drumahair mm. and all over that general area. Tell us a bit about the devastation that's happened, as well as a, an electricity a fire caused by um, lightning, which is on the front page of the Observer mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about what that impact of that is locally. Well, I suppose the impact on, on Thursday night with the house in Manorhampton with a young family were very, very lucky. Uh, where lightning struck the house um, and we had a serious thunder and lightning storm uh, in the early hours of Thursday or the late hours of Thursday and the early hours of Friday morning. Um, That that house was, the roof was destroyed and I think damage where the chimney fell down in the car as well. But I suppose the main thing is that the the young family that were in it uh, escaped uh, uninjured. But it's an unusual, I'm not aware of it happening in the area before and of course the other thing that has hit the national headlines is the landslide that's a few miles outside Drumcair in, in an area called Great Niglo, the Dawn of Hope a very scenic uh, area uh, where there's been a massive landslide I've been out there I've been up at the landslide and I visited a number of the landowners um, where their land is destroyed which really what has happened is that the um, landslide came down and it has taken all that bog down into people's land. The road uh, the road we call the Greyfield Road is closed and probably will be for some time because the situation up there now is that there's, I'd say, thousands of tonnes of peat just sitting there at the top. Uh, it's still streaming down, but um, what local people are worried about now is if there's heavy rainfall, and unfortunately there is heavy rainfall promised for Friday, uh, and there's very little you can do at the moment to see what's going to happen because um, you can't, you couldn't put, you can't put machines in up there. It's too dangerous. Uh, the 
sides of the bridge have gone where the main uh, landslide is and uh, it's basically frightening to look at it. So I think there's about roughly there maybe 10 or 12 landowners affected. Now one lady did leave her house because it was coming quite close to it where it came down the valley. Um, there's another house where the sandbags all around it. It's gone in very close to the back of that house. Uh, thankfully nobody has been injured and no, no animals to my knowledge I know one farmer had just moved his cattle the day before, uh, luckily enough. So uh, for that point, animals seem to be safe and, and there's no human injury. But we are making a case. Um, I'm contacting the Minister of Agriculture and the local IFA have been um, in touch with their national organisation to make the case because if you look at the land now, it's low-lying where this has come down. There's thousands of tonnes of peat just actual bog lying there. Um, I was looking in one area yesterday where there's fencing posts and the, the landslide, the peat, is actually up halfways on the fencing posts. That'll give you an idea of, of the depth of it that's, that's in the land. So um, how that's going to be removed or what's going to be done with it, I have no idea. Now, I know our Chief Executive Officer, Officer Lar Power, I spoke to him yesterday morning. He's been out. Council engineers have been out and the, the council staff were out um, the night before, in fairness to them, they brought sandbags out to the houses that I mentioned. So I suppose it's a wait-and-see uh, game there and see what the weather's going to do. Is this going to settle? But certainly what people are worried about, if there's more heavy rain, there's an, a huge pile of peat there just ready to, to pour down the valley. So I suppose it's to look at it and see what can be done for the farmers in question and what com compensation and how they're going to, um, the logistics of getting their land back to normal again and um, getting the road cleared. So it's a wait and see game at this stage. Yeah, but it's devastating for the people involved. Yeah, someone who lives in the floodplain here in the south of the county, in Elytrum Village, it's, it can be upsetting for everybody, even if the, it's not necessarily in your property, it just affects your mindset and everything. And I think mental mm -hmm. health is a, an issue for most people at the moment, mm -hmm. given the, the isolation we've all gone through That's over right. the last exactly. few months. So this can't be a, a, a positive thing for the people affected. Well, uh, I'm just hoping that the IFA and that the Department of Agriculture, you know, that they'll deal with this as quickly as possible. I mean, I'm not, uh, that they'll put people in that have expertise in this area to decide on what's the best thing to do and how... I mean, obviously, it's going to be it's going to cost farmers uh, money to to clean up their land, and I don't know when it's even going to be feasible for them to do that. So hopefully, that funding will be made available, and that some expertise in the area will be made available uh, to them as to what's the best thing to do, and how it's going to be resourced. I did see some horrific videos yesterday from Drum Hare in terms of flooding as well. Absolutely. Um, what's happening there locally, or have you been involved in that? Well, I suppose the rain, it was, I, I've never seen anything, you know, it was, it started on, well, we had the rain on Thursday night and Friday morning with the thunderstorm and all of the downpour that came with that. But then Friday evening, from Friday evening until yesterday, it was non-stop rain. Absolutely non-stop. I mean, you just open the door and look out. I opened the door several times for my dog. He, she wouldn't even go out. Um, the weather, it was just so... The rain was so horrendous. So, And local people are saying because there was such a dry spell, you know, there's three months almost with only, about, I think, about two days' rain, that in the area, the bog area, that um, the, the, it was, the ground was all cracked and had separated, if you like, and that when the heavy rain came... 
there's another school of thought from other people in saying that there's a lot of afforestation up there and there's timber being extracted at the moment and some people are saying that this may have contributed to it. I'm not in a position to say whether it did or didn't, but that's a factor that's going to be have to look at as well because there is a huge amount of afforestation up there at the moment. Another issue that's come up and it's in the paper as well today uh, is, and it's your own quote in terms of Drumcairn and the internet access around the town, and this is a, a common thread through all mm. of Leitrim's towns, is that in certain towns there might be 50-50 where some get really good internet access and others just mm. physically can't get it into their mm. houses. We found the importance of that over the last Absolutely. few months. You mentioned Zoom yourself in, in terms of how you've been doing your business. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what's the, the situation with the internet access in the county and mm-hmm. what can we do to improve it? Cause it? It's not that long ago since there was a motion to not allow 5G into the county. So how, how, how do we marry those two things? Uh, well, I suppose for the last um, few years, it has been a topic that's been on the agenda, on the council's agenda, and certainly on my agenda, because uh, I live in an area where there there was always uh, poor broadband. Now, we get ours from, uh, you know, a private supplier at the minute, and it's, for the most part, it's reasonably good, um, not always. Uh, in fairness, when it goes down, they do their best to, to get it up and running again. But, I mean, in the last three months, really, we've seen we've had students at home trying to get their homework, do their schoolwork. Then when the exams or the assessments came, we had students doing assessments from their home. It's very important that that they wouldn't have the worry of the system breaking down on top of all the other worries in relation to exams. We, In some cases, we had two parents working from home. So I gave an example at the council meeting the last day where a family where... One parent was working from home. They have, uh, they had three students accessing homework online. And the parent was getting up at five o'clock in the morning to try and get their HSE uh, work done. And it, it along with uh, the, all the other stresses of the pandemic, this was an, an extra stress that people had. So I think, you know, somebody compared it to, like, the bringing electricity to rural Ireland in the 50s, I think, or late 40s, maybe, or 50s, that bringing broadband now is of the same importance, you know, it's and should be rolled out throughout the, throughout the county. I mean, we've had occasions where we had a government department a few years ago uh, sent us down a map to the council, and they marked out all the areas where we had broadband, we didn't have it in most of the areas that were marked on a map. So obviously you had somebody sitting in an office and saying, oh yeah, we have it there, and they have it there, uh, just because somebody designed the, the map that way, where we didn't have it. So I don't think there was any great um, urgency in it uh, for very many years, but I think this really should make it a matter of urgency, that it is so, so important, because particularly in the public service now, um, they're saying that they're going to try and get their people to work from home. So you, that's from all the offices that I'm familiar with, the ETB, the local authority, the HSE. All of these agencies now are authorities are having people working from home. So how are you going to work from home if you don't have this um, service? And when students go back to school, and particularly as students going to third level, I'm just speaking to the president of the IT in Sligo last week, you know, they are hoping that maybe first years will they'll be able to bring them in more than than the other years, but and they do a, they do a huge amount of I mean they're one of the leading online 
colleges in the country. So they're hoping that other people will be, uh, students will be mostly doing working from home or studying from home. Um, how, how is that going to work if we don't have it? And in relation to Drum Cairn, we were told uh, two years ago that we were going to have all of the village and extending out some of the, the roads that we were going to have high-speed fibre broadband from air and all the digging up of the streets and all that was done. And now some people have it in the village and some people don't. You know, so you go 100 metres and somebody has it and then the next person doesn't have it. So it's, it's very unsatisfactory. And I think the new government now, when they get settled in, it's one of the things they need to have as priority. Well, you've given us a nice little segue to talk about the new government. Obviously, it's it's in the news for the last week or so. Um, it's quite apt that we're coming back now. Fresh start. The government was appointed on Sunday. The junior ministerships will be announced today. There's been a few issues, um, not issues, but a few kind of uh, topics for discussion have come up out of the original uh, ministerships. Obviously, your own party, Fianna Fáil, are part of this in- engagement. Mm. Michal Martin, your party leader, is the new Taoiseach. Um, People are given out about the lack of representation in the West of Ireland. And I suppose to take a, a different view on it, is it more important that we have all our geography geography uh, represented or is it down to the skill set of the people who get the jobs? Is is the idea that every constituency wants a, th- or a, a minister old school politics or should we be still looking for that? Well, I think in the first uh, instance, obviously, nobody should be appointed to a position if they don't have the skill set for that position. And I think that goes without saying. But I'm going to give you an example. If you take the example of Dara Kaliri in Mayo, which I suppose was the one that got the most publicity, nobody could say, and both people in all parties and none are actually very surprised at what happened in that case. So if we just use that as an example... um, Derek O'Leary has been deputy leader of the party. He was one of the main negotiators. Um, he's very well thought of, uh, would be, as a couple of the other ministers said, would be suitable for any position that you would allocate to him. He's somebody of experience, um, integrity. I think he's very media savvy. Uh, has a very good understanding of the issues in rural Ireland, as had um, Minister Ring. I think if you take the ministers that have proven themselves, uh, Eamon O'Keefe, I suppose, was the first one was given to uh, the Portfolio of Rural Development and was an excellent minister there. Introduced Clore funding, which helped us to have water schemes, extra money for water schemes where they weren't feasible, uh, towns and villages grants. That was then Minister Ring when he was there. Again, very tuned in to the needs of... Uh, I mean, as well as having skill sets for a department, you need to understand what's needed. And it might not necessarily be the case that a minister um, for the environment in Dublin would fully understand or you weren't going to give rural responsibility to somebody, you know, that only had responsibility for a Dublin constituency. So I think it's very important that ministers uh, have skill sets, but I think the geography is very important as well. And for some of us that are around as long as I am, uh, Experience would tell me that if you have a minister in the region, um, you have a better say at cabinet table. You have a better say when resources have been distributed. And I think it would have been very important in our constituency that we would have in Sligo Leitrim, Donegal, Mayo, that whole area, 
that we would have had a minister with full responsibility in the Department for Rural Development. Now, I know that Heather Humphreys has some section of uh, rural development, um, and, and I think, she, you know, I think she, she will be good she, if she comes from a rural background. But um, it's very disappointing, and to come back to my original point, uh, nobody could say that Dara Kaliri hadn't the ability and the skills to be a senior minister, and why he isn't, I, I just don't know. And I think that was a, a very poor decision on the part of the now teacher, uh, Michal Martin, and it's one that people in this area are very disappointed about. But I think maybe in the junior ministers, it is important, you know, and we have people with the skills. You know, we, we, we have we have Mark McSharry, if I'm talking to my own party, in the Sligo Leitrim constituencies, very, very able person. We have Charlie McConlogue in Donegal, who's a very... Uh, very able, has proven himself as front bench spokesperson in agriculture. I'm sure from a Fine Gael perspective, uh, Joe McHugh is former minister um, in Donegal, and Michael Ring is a former minister. So, I mean, I'm and not... Frank Freehan's name has been mentioned as well. And Frank Freehan's name has been mentioned. So, um, I'm sure we have people that can, can do the job in the west of Ireland, but... Um, do you expect some of those names to be appointed as junior ministers when they get announced later today? Well, I've absolutely no idea, and I'm certainly not in uh, Michal Martin's uh, inner and we all know who really circle. Calls the shots, so um, I, I, I've no idea. I'm hoping. I'm certainly hoping. Um, I would like to see, um, from my own party point of view, I would like to see Mark McSharry appointed, and certainly Charlie McConlogue um, in Donegal. Okay, there's a few other things I want to touch because we're kind of running out of time and there's a few things that are quite important that I want to chat to. First of all, let's get one or two smaller things out of the way. There's been a bit of development in Carrick over the last few um, months uh, in terms of the development at the back of, I suppose, what's going to be the new health centre there, the new um, park and facilities and the, the, the closing off of the town. After COVID and after the roadworks that caused havoc all of last summer, is this the right time to be doing that in Carrick? Like, are are we closing down Carrick again for a couple of months to traffic and stuff? Have the, uh, I suppose, are, are people okay with the idea of it? Well, I can't say that it has come up. Uh, and we talked earlier about Zoom. Uh, we're just, we had, uh, we only had the AGM. We met in the bush and the other meetings are in Zoom. And um, I I have to say, I haven't heard it being brought up at, at, at the, the last meeting. But... I think with uh, restaurants and shops and, and pubs just opening up now after being closed for three months, um, I know the Carrick councillors will be more, more familiar with this than I am, but I would not like to see Carrick closed down um, and that people wouldn't be able to come in uh, to the town and support the local businesses. And I hope whatever um, works are going to be done, that measures will be taken, that people can pass freely and that parking will be available and that the, the businesses won't suffer as a result because that's the last thing they would want but as I say I'm not absolutely totally familiar with the, with the logistics of what is going to happen but certainly we don't want to see Carrick shut down. It also does again need to be said that it's going to be a phenomenal addition to the town when it's finished and you can't make an omelette without cracking eggs. So a little bit of short-term pain, but long-term gain in the long run, I think. Yeah, so. well, hopefully it can be done in a way that, as I said, I'm not familiar with the engineering aspect of it, but hopefully it can be done in a way that won't affect the businesses because, I mean, they've lost enough business now over the last few months and they, they need the business. You mentioned the police earlier in terms of um, helping with the whole 
community support during COVID. There's been a change at the top of the police in Carrick and Shannon in the last week. Kevin English has left Carrick Garda Station. He's been, I suppose, credited with a lot of work over the last few years. I know there was an announcement in the, in the court last week that he was moving as of today, I believe. That's going to make a, a bit of a difference around Carrick in terms of uh, the impact he's had on virtually every aspect of life in, in Carrick in terms of nightlife, in terms of the last three months as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I mean, I know uh, Superintendent uh, Kevin English uh, quite well. He comes to our um, joint policing uh, meetings and uh, if I hadn't heard that he had um, retired, wish him well in whatever uh, post he, he's gone to and um, just to thank him very much for the service that he gave uh, to the people of Leitrim. Uh, but I'm sure that position will be will be filled again, so I don't think we'll be losing Big you know. shoes to fill, big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill. And then also a couple of other things that we did mention off air that we were going to have a chat about. Um, explain to me the, the problem with the T-test in in terms of that one-off social oh, one-off housing in the county and, and what the impact of that is um, and why it's back in the news again. Well, I suppose uh, Breffnit has never really left the news because as a council, uh, we've been raising this, all of the councillors, say every one of them at over the years, we've had down motions. We've met with ministers. Um, we've been sending requests to the EPA and to the Department of the Environment. The T-test is a test that has to be passed for percolation if you're going to build a house in the country. And I suppose we have uh, difficult uh, soil here uh, in Leitrim, and this is causing a major problem. And we're trying to encourage people as far as possible, particularly people that want to live on the land, that have a connection with the land, you know, we have farmers' sons and daughters that are nephews, maybe, that want to live on the land. And particularly in the case with elder, you know, elderly parents where they would like to see uh, somebody uh, living on the land and, in some cases, farming the land. So it's causing severe difficulty for people getting planning permission. And we've asked, we, we've been told on numerous occasions that there is an engineering solution uh, to this. And... Uh, we're still waiting for this and, you know, we have a, a pilot scheme, but we feel that the EPA are not doing enough and we'll certainly be calling on the new minister um, to try and, and put measures in place that can alleviate this. And a number of people are saying that, you know, in other adjoining counties that where the land would seem to be similar, that they don't seem to be having the same difficulty as we have. Um, but it is an area that's causing a lot of uh, hardship for people and what's happening now is that people are not applying for planning in a lot of cases because they feel that they go to go to the expense of planning and then they're not going to get it in the end and they still have to pay their engineer for their planning so people are holding back but in the last couple of weeks I've had uh, two people in my electoral area that uh, want to build on the land and they're trying to find out what hope is there for them? You know, they're going to employ a, an architect uh, to do their plans. And and then particularly in the weather that we have, we have so much rain. You know, if uh, the chance of getting your T-test right is very slim. But, I mean, we have been told, and as far back as when Minister Hogan was Minister for the Environment, he told us that there was no difficulty in getting an engineering solution and that we should have that sorted in a year no, uh, he's, he's been put gone up, a bit longer than a year. He's he's put up a lot of miles since that, and I'm I'm not blaming entirely blaming him because we've had other ministers since that and before, 
and they haven't solved the issue. But it is an issue. It affects our local schools and our local towns and villages. And um, there was a thinking and planning at one stage. I don't maybe think we have that as much now in Leitrim as we had, that everybody should be moved into towns and villages, you know, and leave the countryside for the tourists to roam around and admire and farmers come in and live in the village and go out and farm your land. But we want vibrant communities, you know, and we want, we want people, if people want to live on the land... We want them to live on the land, so it's an issue that we're going to be pursuing vigorously. The final item on my agenda for today's show is the local improvement scheme, the LISs, and the decimation of the funding for that and the impact it's having on the county. Mm. Can you explain to us a little bit about what the LISs are and what mm. what's happened recently in terms of the funding? Yeah, well, local improvement schemes have been an absolutely fantastic asset to Leitrim. And we were drawing down huge sums of money for them and we had a big list. And then after the economic crash, uh, the money was cut. And when the former Shane Ross, uh, God help us, was Minister for Transport, he refused to give any allocation of money. He just said it wasn't on his agenda. And for years we got no money uh, for local improvement schemes. And then in fairness to Minister Ring, when he came in, he took an allocation out of the rural development budget, which wasn't right, I think, because that money was allocated for rural development projects. But in the scheme of things, I think Minister Ring saw the importance of the local improvement schemes, and he did give an allocation to local authorities. Now, Just al- before you go into that, can you tell us, because the listeners might not be aware of what local oh, improvement schemes Oh, yeah, a local improvement are. scheme is where there are a number of people living on a road where it's not a public road. We have the highest amount of these uh, kind of uh, roads and people living on them in Leitrim than anywhere else. That Hence, we had the biggest list in the country. So, say there's three people living on a road. and it's Three families. Three families, yeah. yeah and it's not, a, or even two. It's not a public road, but they're paying their taxes, they're paying their car tax, they're paying their income tax, they're paying their property tax, they're paying all these other charges that everybody else pays, and everyone else has these public roads and public lighting if you're living close to a town. So what happened is that the department were given an allocation to the council, so that covered 80 or 90% or 85%, I can't remember exactly now when the last one, and the people on the road paid the balance. They collected the money, they made an application and they collected that 10% or 15% and they paid that. Uh, the council carried out the work and everybody was happy. And it was a great way for getting, for getting those roads done. But then when the money was cut, so we now um, have a list about, I think it's about 100, last m- from memory I think about 140. We're going to do about 10 this year. But if we don't get an extra, and we haven't taken in any new applications, that's the problem. We haven't taken in, for years, we haven't taken an application for a local improvement scheme. So there's a lot of people out there waiting to submit their applications. So I think if they submitted their applications, we'd go back over the 200 again. Um, and with the funding, we could be 20 years before we get to that. And they're done in chronological order. So it's first in that that's the way they're done. Doesn't exactly cover with much confidence. So no, but we would need to get back to the situation where we'd be getting a, a big allocation of money, and maybe uh, a special allocation. And what I was proposing at one stage, because Leitrim has a high number of these roads, that we could be used as a, you know, just as a pilot scheme, and give us an amount of money to clear the ones or nearly clear the list that we have, and then start again. It's another service that's needed for for rural Ireland. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I suppose that's all I have on my agenda, unless there's something else you want to share with us before you, you leave us? 
No, I suppose just to, again, maybe to thank everybody that was involved in our communities during the pandemic. Um, I know I said it at the outside, but the local authority staff, Gardaí, but particularly the voluntary organisations and the home helps, the people that were doing home help were tremendous. You know, they went way beyond the call of duty to try and help the people that they were calling to and, you know, do shopping for them and everything like that. So... There's, I'm very proud of the volunteering community sector that we have in Leitrim. Well, listen again, congratulations on your election as Cahirlach for the fifth time to Leitrim County Council. It must be said, of course, that you're not the only female who's kind of taken the bull by the horns in this edition of the council. Uh, your vice chairperson, or last Cahirlach, is also female, Finola Armstrong mm-hmm. McGuire, obviously councillor from Carrick mm-hmm. and Shannon here, and one of the municipal chairpeople persons yeah. uh, in the Ballinamore district is Ita Reynolds mm-hmm. Flynn so uh, you've really taken over um, the whole council there's only three of you on the council but you seem to be making a fair go at it well just to say I suppose we have certainly have gender balance um, in Leitrim and I'm absolutely delighted to have Finola Armstrong Maguire as the last career look it hasn't happened before that we've had him you know we've uh, Finola has been career look of the council um, but it's the first time this happened that the chair the career look and the last career look um, are female but it, again I think you know it's important to have gender but it's not all about gender I mean it's about the calibre of the people how they conduct themselves and I think and I'm delighted to have Ita that Ita is Cahirac of the Municipal District in Ballamore but I suppose it's how we all work together and I'd have to say in conclusion that the members of Leitrim County Council have a very strong record of pulling together despite what political affiliation you have or none um, what we strive to do is, when it comes to drawing down funding, it's been commented on by various ministers that Leitrim are never behind, when, and the executive, for putting forward good projects and delivering, and we hope to do that again for this year. Okay, I suppose I better officially mention that uh, the chairperson of the Carrick Municipal District is Paddy Farrell, councillor, and also Sean McDermott Sean is McDermott in charge in of the Manor Hamilton District. Absolutely. Uh, congratulations to all five of our councillors on their appointments. Uh, last week, I believe, he took office. And uh, you'll be there till the end of June next year. So that's right. Uh, the very, very best look for the yeah, year. Yeah, and ahead. I just uh, to say, I suppose we did it at the meeting to thank the um, outgoing Carhirlock uh, Enda McGlone, who had a very um, successful uh, term in office. And I suppose what was useful from his point of view is that he had a lot of contacts in uh, the various government departments with his party uh, being in power. So that was a help to us as well. I'm sure he'll, he'll still be able to give him a little nod as you go by him in the Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Put in a word for us uh, with this government as well. Uh, well, listen, thank you very much for dropping in. Uh, I know it's a strange world. We've rearranged the office here so that there's six feet between us when maybe there wasn't beforehand. Uh, but thank you so much for dropping in and the very best luck for the year ahead. Thank you very much for having me, Brittany. And this, of course, is Leitrim Daily, back again after a little bit of a hiatus due to the coronavirus uh, being, I suppose, shutting down the whole world, effectively. Uh, We're back to work. We're back putting out shows. We'll be back on Friday with the Sports Roundup. We'll be looking at return to action of our clubs and our county teams over the next few months. We'll be talking to some of the people involved in making sure that all of that comes back on stream in the next couple of weeks ahead of the start of the championship on the weekend of the 19th of July, I believe, is when everybody's back in action. Talk to you then.